Well, again, a warm welcome to everybody. Uh, my name is Amy, and it's good to be together, whether you're here with us outside the chapel under the canopies or worshiping with us on Zoom. Uh, it's just kind of a miracle that we're able to gather. And this morning, I'm going to be preaching on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is all about the body of Christ. It's that chapter that Jenny just read for us a couple minutes ago. And so it seems fitting that our body is kind of scattered in all these different places, and yet we are all part of this body called incarnation and called the church. Well, as a reminder, we've been working our way through 1 Corinthians for a few months now, ever since January, and we took a little break for Holy Week and Easter, but this week we are back with Paul, and this is a really long chapter. In fact, Jenny only read about half of it. But like a lot of our long chapters, we just can't get to it all today. So fortunately, our small groups are starting back up this week, and hopefully you can dig into all the parts that I didn't cover today. But before we get into 1 Corinthians 12, I actually want to just take a moment with that gospel passage and point out what I think is kind of the funniest part of that story. I don't know if you caught it, but John makes a point not once, but twice, of saying how he beat Peter in a running race to the tomb. He says it in verse 4, and then just in case we didn't catch it, he just kind of casually drops it again in verse 8. He wants us to know, I outran Peter on the way to the tomb. And I just love that that detail makes it into Holy Scripture, partly because I think it's funny. It's the way we all tell stories. And partly because it reminds us that John and Peter and Mary didn't stop being themselves when they became Jesus' disciples. Even after the resurrection, even after they become these incredible apostles and church planters, preachers and healers, people who work miracles, even then they are still just human beings. They're still just ordinary guys who care who ran faster on Easter. And so for John and Peter, they never stop being who they are. Following Jesus doesn't mean they transcend their bodies to this higher spiritual plane, that they become higher beings, something like angels. They just keep on living in the bodies they were given, in the culture they were given, in the families they were given, with the personalities they already had, their own unique way of doing things and telling the story. They just keep being themselves. But because Jesus has died and been resurrected, and as he said in that passage, he ascended to the Father, their ordinary, normal, human, bodily lives become filled and empowered with the Spirit of God. And our ordinary human bodily lives are the same way. They can now be filled and empowered with the Spirit of God. And in that Spirit, we are connected to John and Peter and Mary, and we're connected to one another, and we're connected to all Christians, everyone who is following Jesus everywhere in the world, throughout all time and space, all these ordinary people that Paul calls the body of Christ. So 
So let's get into 1 Corinthians 12. The letter starts with Paul saying, Now concerning spiritual gifts. Now, it's been a few weeks since we've been in this letter, but you might remember that I told us that Paul does this a lot. He starts a lot of new ideas with this phrase, now concerning whatever's coming next. And when he does this, we usually know that it's because he's responding to something that the Corinthians have asked him or told him in a letter we don't have anymore. It's kind of like we're eavesdropping on a conversation, but we only hear one side. We kind of have to piece together what's coming on the other end. And what we can piece together in chapter 12, the now concerning spiritual gifts, is that the Corinthians have been telling Paul about all these spiritual gifts that are manifesting in the church. The first part of this chapter lists a bunch of gifts. And then at the end, in what Jenny read, there are a bunch more gifts listed. Gifts like teaching, prophecy, apostolic leadership, healing, wisdom, miracles, and more. Now, Paul's focus in this chapter actually isn't the gifts. It's how they use the gifts. It's what those gifts are for in the body. But I think it's still worth pausing for a minute just to talk about spiritual gifts. So, first of all, there are two lists of gifts in this chapter. There are other lists of spiritual gifts kind of sprinkled throughout Paul's letters. And all of these lists are different. No list has all the same things as any other list. And that probably tells us that Paul wasn't thinking about these as comprehensive lists. That he wasn't trying to create kind of a scientific categorization of every spiritual gift there might be. But that he was more just giving representative examples of the way the Holy Spirit is moving and growing in these churches. And we can imagine because of that, that although the gifts that Paul lists are indeed spiritual gifts that we might have access to, there are probably even more than that. That the Holy Spirit is going to move in surprising and creative ways that the Holy Spirit will give the gifts that are needed when they're needed, even if they don't show up on these lists. And the second thing about spiritual gifts is that sometimes we kind of treat them a little bit like a personality test. We sort of look at the list and we try to figure out, well, based on my temperament and my natural abilities, I wonder what my spiritual gifts might be. And that's really good. That can be really, really valuable. But only up to a point, because when we treat spiritual gifts like the Myers-Briggs, then it becomes something other than what Paul's talking about. Because it becomes a thing that has to do with our own abilities, our own natural inclinations. And it kind of loses that sense of what God wants to do to empower his work in the world, the ways he might sometimes gift us in a way that surprises us and cuts against the grain of who we are and what we're naturally inclined to do. I wonder if the Holy Spirit has ever surprised you like that, has ever surprised you by giving you something you didn't expect, that you didn't think you had in you, but was just what the moment needed. Well, what's clear in chapter 12 is that the point of the gifts 
is to love and serve the body of Christ. And that there is this broad diversity of gifts that the Spirit gives for that purpose. So we don't have to stress or be anxious about nailing down exactly what our own gifts are and how they play into it. We can just be about our business, loving and serving the body of Christ, loving and serving the world Christ made, and we can trust the Holy Spirit to give and even exceed what we need. And then the final point about spiritual gifts is that in this chapter and the next couple of chapters, Paul seems to assume that they are just going to be there. He doesn't tell them to use them. He assumes they are using them, that they're experiencing this spiritual life. He assumes this is normal in the life of the church. And it is still normal in the life of many Christians and many churches. And if you've traveled at all, you've probably witnessed this. And so I just want to invite us to think for a moment if these manifestations of spiritual gifts are not normal in our own lives, just to be curious, to wonder why that might be, to wonder if there's a way that we need to take a step toward being more open to the Holy Spirit, if there's an invitation here for us. But even as I say that, I can kind of feel this resistance rising up in me, and I don't know if you can feel it too, because sometimes spiritual gifts feel scary and confusing. I've seen them used in ways that feel manipulative or even abusive or just weird, where it's not clear how this is serving the body of Christ. And Paul's words in chapter 12 are actually for us, if you're feeling any of that resistance with me, because that's what seems to be happening in Corinth. The strong, if you remember this division between the Corinthians, there are the strong who think they are spiritually superior, they are the people of higher status in the community. They are having these super spiritual experiences and they're using spiritual gifts in a way that is harming or confusing or excluding the weak among them. And this is that same pattern we keep seeing all through 1 Corinthians, but here in chapter 12, it's infected the way they worship when they come together. And so Paul is going to spend three whole chapters explaining that spiritual gifts are not for showing off. They're not for getting to some higher angelic level of spiritual being. They are for building each other up in love, and they are especially for building up the weakest people, the most vulnerable people in the community. And Paul makes this point with that image of the body of Christ. He uses this image to bring that lofty spiritual idea that the strong Corinthians have kind of back to earth, kind of tether it to something real. Paul tells us in verse 13 that the body of Christ is through and through this spiritual reality. It comes through our baptism into one spirit and in this body, we all drink of the same spirit. 
So that spiritual life, that high spiritual experience that the strong Corinthians are craving, it doesn't happen on this higher plane. It happens in a body. It happens here on earth in a life that is deeply intertwined with other Christians that bumps right up against people who are weak and needy, people they might think are inferior. What Paul wants them to really get is that life in the spirit is life in the body. And Paul tells them that in this body, all of their old divisions of ethnicity, of status, of class, Jew and Greek, slave and free, they are being bound together and they're going away in this new spiritual unity. And in this body, there is this broad and creative diversity of the Spirit's gifts in each person. And each of them serves this interdependent whole. Every part of this body needs every single other part. Every part has value. When one part is hurting, the whole body feels it. And when one part rejoices, the whole body rejoices. So this Christian community that Paul is describing is Christ's body in the world. It's proclaiming and demonstrating the good news of his kingdom. It's actually living it out in this body because in this body, divisions are being healed. Every member matters. The diversity of all human beings is preserved in this unity. Well, in our last couple of minutes together in this chapter, I want to focus on verse 26, which says, If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So first, the suffering part. Paul knows that being connected to a body brings suffering. And I think we know that too, as people who live in human bodies and as people who are part of the body of Christ. As we look around at the body of Christ in our American context, we see so much that is hurting. We see so much that feels infected. We see where politics, where harmful ideologies or theologies, where abuse and scandal have taken root and taken their toll. And so just like Jesus' resurrected body had wounds, this body has some wounds. And yet this is what Christ chooses to inhabit. This is what he chooses to live in, to proclaim and to show his kingdom. And so Paul acknowledges that this body has suffering, and we can too. We can grieve that suffering. But he doesn't give room for us to opt out. We are part of this body. We will feel its pain, but we also have to be part of its healing. We are connected. And so following Christ for us means staying intimately connected to this body that he's chosen, this body of ordinary and diverse, weak and wounded, and sometimes really frustrating people 
just like me and you. And my prayer for us is that the Holy Spirit would empower us with the courage and the tenderness, the gentleness, and the gifts to be agents of healing in this body. But thankfully, there is a second half of that verse. It's not all suffering and hypocrisy and division. If we widen our gaze, we see the second half says, if one member is honored, all rejoice together. And there's actually so much to rejoice. And if you're not regularly in contact with stories of things to rejoice in the body of Christ, you may want to somehow add that to your newsfeed. There are so many places where the body of Christ really is diverse and interdependent and full of the power of the Holy Spirit, where people are encountering God in his gentleness, his kindness, his love, and his healing, where the kingdom feels like it is in our midst and it's palpable and it's good. And as I was thinking about it this week, um, an email came through my inbox that I thought was a really good example of this. You guys probably remember that one of our outreach partners is a church plant. It's not yet fully operational, but over in Colmore called One Voice Fellowship. We've been praying for them. We've done prayer walks with them. We gave them a little gift last year. And this week I read their Easter update. And it said that on Easter Sunday, they had people from 16 different language groups or sorry, 16 different countries gathered for worship in a parking lot, like us. People from all walks of life, people from all gifts and cultures, people of high status and the lowest status, people who had known Jesus through persecution, and people who hadn't yet met Jesus. And their Easter sermon was translated into Arabic, Uyghur, Urdu, Spanish, French, Amharic, and Chinese. And at the end of this Easter service, Every follower of Jesus was invited to come forward and get a stamp on their arm, not in any of those eight languages, in a different language, a stamp of the Greek word tetelestē, which is the Greek for it is finished, Jesus' words on the cross. And I loved that image of people bringing all the beautiful diversity of their own languages into worship but also taking onto their body a new language of their shared identity in Christ. And I love that we at Incarnation are part of that same body with them. We may not have those actual stamps on our arm, but we are living in that it is finished reality with them. And so we see what God is doing in our midst there in the Karen Christians that Liz talked about last week, all around the body of Christ, throughout the world, and we rejoice. We rejoice wherever we see Christ alive and whole in his body, empowered by the Spirit and doing his work. Well, we'll enter our time of silence here in just a minute. And as we do, I just want to invite you to reflect on your place in the body of Christ. Is it feeling more like the suffering part of that equation or the rejoicing part of that equation? How is God inviting you to build the body up in love? How is God inviting you to go deeper in this body at incarnation? 
What gifts is God inviting you to bring? Or how does God want you to be maybe more open to the gifts he wants to give you? We'll just take a moment of silence now. Let's ask God to guide us by his spirit to lead us deeper into his body. Amen.